South Bend, Indiana, I'm Jacob Titus. Welcome to More People. More People is a new article and podcast series written by Joe Molner and published on West SB that explores how South Bend lost 50,000 people in 50 years. On each episode, I'll be joined by Joe and my South Bend on Purpose co-host, Dustin Mix, to discuss the latest article in the series, how it was received online, and what's coming up next. Welcome to episode seven of More People, the podcast. My name is Jacob Titus, and I am joined, as always, by Joe Molnar and Dustin Mix. Tonight, we are going to discuss part seven of Joe's article series titled More People, How South Bend Lost 50,000 People in 50 Years. And the title of this article is South Bend Survived. Joe, how does it feel to be finishing out the series? Feels great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, especially though it, it's kind of become a like I still I enjoyed the whole process from start to finish. Like I'm I'm super glad we did it. Um, but by the end, I was it felt like a monkey on my back that like not that mm. I just wanted to end, but I had thought of this for like this is the only thing I've really been thinking of critically outside of work for like six months now, I think about from like May to now. (laughs) So it was good to like click send to you the last draft and be like, okay, wash my hands. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the response to this last one, I think cause it it was the last one and people got that was overwhelmingly positive, which always (laughs) makes you feel good when you put something out into the world that you spend a lot of time on to see people appreciate it It is always gratifying. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the beginning and end of things is interesting because it's like even in the ending, it's when a lot of people end up showing up and paying attention to something that that's going on. Yeah. I remember when like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Casey Neistat. He's a YouTuber. He had like a long running vlog um, for a few years and he ended it. And that was the first time I had ever heard his name Uh because it was on all these blogs that was Casey Neistat is ending his blog that's or his vlog that's been running every day on YouTube for years. And I became a big fan after that. And it was always funny to me that in the announcement of the ending um, <laughs> no, I, is often when like um, similar to the beginning. Yeah. That's when a lot of people show up. This, especially smaller niche things at the mm-hmm. end, if they've gotten a following people talk about it. Um, I yeah. did the same thing. I, I got into pod like into listening to podcasts because the Washington Post covered the end of the history of Rome podcast, which had been running for like six years. And mm. so I, I in like a month listened to the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, it was yeah, when things end, people are like, Oh, I really enjoyed this. I'm gonna tell other people about it as opposed to just enjoying it like I have been. Totally. Yeah, there were definitely some some tweets of that nature uh last week. People who it's like they're not going to tweet out every article, but they'll, you know, wait until we get to the end and then let everyone know. Yeah, we got some really nice. I mean, Aaron Wren, who we had mentioned before, um, a couple, you know, parts back, he retweeted it and a couple of local bigger 
people shared it and said that they, you know, really appreciated the work. So that, that always feels good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And finishing things is just good because so often we don't. So as a, you know, <laughs> as a society. <laughs> and as me, I thought maybe that's where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah. This is like the, uh, I guess Dustin and I, the first season of South Bend on Purpose that we did together, we really started and finished that. Um, the, the the second one we did together, the live one we did. Oh, yeah, we did that too. And I guess the struggle bus. Iowa yeah. and South Carolina, we started and finished those too. So maybe we're better than we think, but more people feels um, like a distinct in its um, beginning and ending now. Well, I mean, I think the clear difference is that Joe was the one actually doing most of the work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. I wasn't going to say it. Yeah. So I think in terms of staying on pace and doing what needs to get done, we can we can thank Joe for that one. Yeah, I don't know that the two of us doing this, I think we would still be back in Article Two, maybe. Right. So, Joe, we've talked about before that some of the articles that have resulted in the series were not um, what you expected them to be when you set out. I mean, really when you set out, this was going to be one article and then it became maybe like three or four. And now we're talking about part seven um, South Bend survived. Was this where you envisioned the series going um, towards the beginning? Yeah. I always knew even at the very beginning the end of whatever I was writing would become like a little catch up on like things aren't a disaster here. Cause like yeah. whenever you have to be really careful if you're writing in this genre of decline of anything specifically of a place of a city that has so many people who live in it and care about it today, you have to be really careful that you're not just trashing it um, to trash it. And you know, it's not ruined porn in words type thing. Um, mm. so I always knew like the end would always be some type of like, Hey, there's still a hundred thousand people here. Um, I didn't think it would be its own piece until probably about halfway, probably after like article three, I realized it would have to be its own article. I thought I'd always just tack it on to the end of the why it matters article or mm. why the whole, you know, the last class article I did about, you know, the cost of decline. I thought I would just end it with, yeah, but we still have a hundred thousand people. But then going into it, I, I was like, no, this deserves its own full fledged out article um, that has its own story to it beyond just it's the end. Um, it's Right. Yeah. And I wonder, too, if like pretty early on, people from around the Midwest or the region started to pay attention some to what you were writing. And I, I wonder, like, I'm, I'm curious did that did that happening have any uh influence on this eventually kind of becoming its own article because a lot of this like we'll get into it but a lot of this article centers around south bend's place in comparison to other rust belt cities of similar size and makeup hmm, that's a good point yeah i think there's probably some of that is a lot of people reached out saying hey this reminds me of my hometown and it would mm. range from people who contacted me from like really small town, Illinois, that lost like 2000 people, but had only had 5000. So that was obviously a big deal to them up to people from Detroit, you know, 
emailing me saying, Hey, you know, I'm glad you're talking about this really big issue for our region. Um, And in some ways, you know, it's very, very true that this whole region, the principal cities of it, there's the, the, there's very few that haven't declined um, in population. Um, But at the same time, I, I think there's enough differences between all the, you know, the area, the Rust Belt in general, that it's good to look at them against each other too, because it's just as I don't like when, you know, people paint South Bend with a broad brush. I don't want to paint other cities with a broad brush um, and say, Hey, you know, we're the same as Youngstown or we're the same as Gary or Fort Wayne, because we're not you know, we'll get into that, but there's all different types of Rust Belty um, so stories. Um, and I even said in the piece, you know, all, all of these cities have unique geographies, peoples and economic forces imposed upon them. Um, however, you know, they all have all the stories rhyme. Yeah. 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 It's helpful for me because I mean, I think I've talked about it on be- here before I was, I was born in Akron, Ohio. Much of my family's from Youngstown and um, was then raised in South Bend. And I definitely had the feeling that like Youngstown was quite different than South Bend in whatever had happened before I showed up. And um, in visiting there now, when I go to visit family, still have that feeling that something it kind of entirely different, um, a similar, a similar like style to the decline, but uh, different scale and seeing some of these numbers definitely helped me make sense of that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, so this list of Midwestern cities that you're kind of putting up against South Bend, I think there's 10 of them, right? There's nine South Bend, nine others. And then South Bend. Um, How did you, I saw someone on Twitter ask like, how did you come to these cities? Yeah. So I, so why I'm even doing the comparison between the two, um, and it's not to rank, say, this city is better than that city, but it was because I wanted to see, okay, South Bend, we've told the whole story, or at least the best story I can of how we lost, you know, 25% of our population, 30,000 people. But I had not told the story of how we hung on to 100,000 people, uh, which is a lot of people. <laughs> like, but you know, that's, it's not, you know, that's a majority yep. of people stayed. Like we still have 102,000 people in the city. Um, so how, how do we do that? Well, I, I didn't think I could do it justice without saying like, we could have lost a lot more. Like, it's not like we lost as many people as possible. And like, we've only mm-hmm. hung on to this many people because that was inevitable. But I wanted to do it in a really clear way that wasn't just bullshitting everybody and just saying like, yeah, South Bend's great. Look, we survived all these terrible forces upon us. And like, look, we, we still have a hundred thousand people. Like we did well, like that's not right. scientific. That's just boosterism. Um, so what I did smart sewers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I did was I wanted to look at very similar cities to South Bend so that we could basically look at cities that were all, all looked like South Bend at its peak or very, very, you know, as close as two cities can come. Um, so the criteria mm. was, you know, it had to be a Midwestern city to start with, and it had to be a you know city based on manufacturing like South Bend was. Um, I picked only cities that peaked between 100 and 200,000 people. So I took out, you know, Chicago, Detroit, right off the bat, those, you know, 
Detroit is like the poster child of the Rust Belt, but it's not really a comparison to compare a city of that had 1.8 million to South Bend yeah. that has a Metro still of 4 million people to us. that has a Metro of 300,000. Like those aren't accurate, but like similar story, but just that's not at all a true comparison. Mm-hmm. So the peak had to be a hundred to 200,000. And then I wanted to, um, uh, every city had to at least experienced one decade of population to decline. Um, mm. because there's cities in the Midwest that have never seen population decline. We border one called Mishawaka. <laughs> like there are some cities that <laughs> never had this issue. Um, so I wanted mm. to look at cities that looked at like South Bend at their peak at its peak and experienced the beginning of what South Bend was experiencing. So decline in manufacturing, decline in population. Mm. Um, and from there I, I got these nine, I wanted to do it geographically kind of spread. So I have, you know, a couple from Indiana, a couple from Michigan, um, Ohio, Illinois, and Erie, Pennsylvania, um, rounding out the nine. Um, and I did it in a way that I, I thought was probably, I, I, I talked with a couple of people I trust on these things and said like, are these 10 cities like in the same class or would they have been in the same class in 1960? Um, funny enough, they're all the largest city in their county um at least they were the largest some of them aren't anymore um and they uh they were all the county seat of their county so we're we're talking about very similar style demographics mm-hmm. to south bend yeah interesting yeah and so so that was the 10 i said well let's compare south bend against those other nine and see where south bend you know we've already talked about why we lost 25 you know, 23% of our population, but could it have been a lot worse? And my analysis of it is is that, yes, it it could have been a lot worse. Um, So the the 10 cities, you can kind of plop into three different buckets um, of of how they fared population decline wise. Um, The first two, the the top bucket, if you will, would be Grand Rapids and Fort Wayne. Um, So again, those are cities, they looked really close to South Bend in 1960 or 1970. They, They peaked between 100 and 200,000, um, and they both experienced some type of decline. For Fort Wayne, it was only one decade. Um, for Grand Rapids, it was like three. They had three straight decades, I believe, of, of decline. Um, mm. But by now, they've both passed their old peak and are at new population heights. So Grand Rapids has a population of 201,000. Fort Wayne had crazy growth and popped up to 270. Um, so between those two, they both had growth. Fort Wayne was even higher um, than much higher than Grand Rapids, but um, they both had a, decline. I know we like we've talked about before that Fort Wayne, a lot of this boom is from annexation. Yeah, like hundred um, percent. Is is that a? I don't feel like that's a similar case in Grand Rapids. Is that true? Yeah, you no, know, you're correct. Grand Rapids, I, I, you know, I didn't do a huge dive into each one, but I made sure I, I, I looked up them on maps. I made sure I looked at their incorporated boundaries, and Grand Rapids looks like it's actually hemmed in mostly by other towns, so right. it wouldn't have been able to annex nearly as much, um, which probably explains why it's just barely past its, you know. Uh, mid mid nineteenth mid twentieth century peak. Sorry, while Fort Wayne's yeah. blown past it. Um, Fort Wayne, we've we've talked about a couple times in the piece, probably because I I lived there for a while, so I, it's just a city I I know a lot about. Um, but their old core has lost people. They've just annexed like crazy. Um, and we've totally, explained yeah. you know many times why Salpin didn't do that. Um, so those are the first two that okay they actually saw growth 
like they're they have more people than they've ever had before both of them um the second bucket which is where south bend falls is this moderate drop i call and, and you know everything's relative in these words but cities that lost between zero and 35 percent of their peak population um mm. and those include us which lost 23 percent but then erie Ohio, or erie pennsylvania evansville indiana and peoria um those other three all lost in that zero to 35 range um which i kind of consider like the city this is kind of the south bend story right? like they they got hit and they all seem to either be plateauing or slightly growing um, so still huge loss, still really bad for the city, but have all, they're all still the primary center for their County. Like we are, um, they're all still major job centers. All four of these cities have still survived and, and have a viable future where you can look into the future and say like, this is, these are different paths the city could take. Um, mm. and you know, the, 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 the city did not break down into complete collapse. Um, and then you look at the last four, um, and these are cities that all lost more than 35% of their population. And yeah. these have just had crazily depressing drops. So Canton, Canton, Ohio, Flint, Michigan, Gary, Indiana, and Youngstown all lost over 35 and Gary and Youngstown both lost 62% of their population. Um, and just, I know percentages are sometimes hard. So Gary had 178,000 people. Now it has 74,000 Youngstown had 166,000 and now has 65. So just, you know, they've both lost almost, they both lost over a hundred thousand people and they're not, they weren't giant places to begin with. Um, so just a complete collapse at every level. Um, you know, we talk about in the South Bend story where like, it's only white people who have left, like every other demographic has risen. And we'll talk about this later. And these two, in these, this bucket of categories of so Canton, Flint, Gary and Youngstown, like they've lost African-Americans. They've lost everybody is smaller population than it used to be. Um, and every mm-hmm. force we've talked about on the show, you know, on the podcast for seven episodes now, as just it's way worse. Like everything is worse. Um, you know, they, they got hurt worse by deindustrialization. They got hurt worse by white flight, like everything. Unfortunately, all these cities. So those four cities are all very, very heavily African-American, um, today. And, you know, unfortunately it's African-Americans who are taking the brunt of left in these cities that are just massively depopulated. Right. But remember, in 1960, they looked really similar to South Bend. They were all majority white, like South Bend was. Um, and they all could have maybe ended up like South Bend or like Fort Wayne, but they took a different path. Um, but that was kind of the point of, so these are the nine cities we'll talk about throughout the article. Um, but even though they all started, you know, within a similar grouping, just way different trajectories in the last 50, 60 years. Um, South Bend actually has a pretty positive story looking at these other nine cities. Um, So at the beginning in 1960, South Bend was the eighth largest city of the group. Now we're the fifth largest. So we've passed three other cities um, as they've declined faster than us, even though we've declined. Um, South Bend's decline of 23% is slightly better than the average decline of basically 25% and the median decline of 27%. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so and it's just it's really depressing to think about it because I, I know all these you know i've done all this research i know all these negative consequences that south bend's been burdened with and i mean these are cities that had it two three four times worse right right yeah and that feel very different like i don't know if how much time you've spent in youngstown and gary but uh it's a very different feeling than um south bend or uh i've been to most of these cities on this list and feels very different yeah i mean they, they yeah they're, i mean every city is different and every city is you you know unique in that way but somewhat like yeah i've been to gary multiple times and and i've made a point to actually drive through the city of gary not just right down the highway to get to chicago right and you know it's like the worst and, and, and you know all these words i'm not trying to cast anybody in a certain light but all like the the most depopulated areas of South Bend, like the one, you know, the neighborhoods we've highlighted before that have lost 60, 70%. It's a whole city of that. Um, And there, you know, there's very few areas that look, you know, even in South Bend, our hardest hit neighborhoods. Like I talked about my, uh, my grandfather's neighborhood last time, you know, history is really gone um, where he grew up. But if you go two blocks North, you go to a block where every single house is still there. Um, and there's very little of that in Youngstown and Gary and right. Flint to a slightly, you know, Flint became obviously infamous because of the water scandal, but this is Flint was not, you know, Flint went from 196,000 to 95. So again, losing over half its population in 50 years. Yeah. And, very, and very different than if you, <clears throat> for example, spend time in like downtown Grand Rapids, my brother <clears throat> lived in yeah. Grand Rapids and yeah, it's not only a city that feels very different, but is also like has a very different narrative even nationally around it right now around right. being a great place to live, great place to, you know, um, raise a family growing reputation for like an industry around craft beer, like just a very, very different, um, yeah. Story. And, and I think like just general feeling about where the city is. Yeah, I mean, Grand Rapids is, it's a wonderful city. Like, that's one place I've spent a lot of time. And I know a lot of, I'll talk to a lot of locals in South Bend, and they all say, I, you know, if we talk about the future of South Bend, and they say, hey, I really want, like, when I'm 50, Grand Rapids, or uh, South Bend to feel like Grand Rapids feels now. (laughs) Like, will be Mm. what I get. Like, that's, like, the ideal for South Bend. Like, that's what we could strive for. Um, So, yeah, just, and then Fort Wayne, on its own is just a completely different story. Almost. It almost could serve its own bracket here, but just even like South Bend or I'm sorry, Fort Wayne, they don't have any neighborhoods that I think had mass, you know, people leaving. Um, Most, the one decade they had population decline. Again, that was a lot like our beginning of population decline where it was just households getting really small, really fast. Um, But I, you know, I went to college there and I was a, runner in the cross country team. So we would run 10, 12, 14 miles. And, you know, eventually you just get bored of running the same search. You just run through the neighborhoods of the city. And I don't, there was no neighborhood that I went to like the South side of Fort Wayne is considered like, you know, the rougher side of Fort Wayne it's termed that way, but the whole neighborhoods are all intact. Like there's, unless I'm totally missed areas, but there's very, very few places of Fort Wayne that even feel at all like South bend. Um, even though in 1960, 1970, South Bend and Fort Wayne were almost exact peers to each other. Yeah. Um, we made we made a few more internationally known products. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, there's a reason I live in South Bend and not Fort Wayne. <laughs> I'll just say that I could, I could have stayed in Fort Wayne. I didn't. Um, and I don't think it was all because I'm from here, but maybe it is. Maybe it's just pure. I wanted to come home. Um, so that was, so that's like the general story, right? Like, so I wanted to explain why did South Bend stay in this middle group and kind of towards the top ish of this middle group, as opposed to why didn't South Bend, you know, have the same fate as Youngstown. Right. Um, right. So I broke it down then going into reasons. And I, I, I say at the end of the piece, like it's kind of hard to suss out, especially I'm not a super, you know, researcher. I'm not doing, you know, analytical research to the extreme where I, it's really hard to sometimes figure out chicken and egg, like what came first and then what impacted what um, is very hard to do. And it's almost like they're all self-fulfilling on each other, where if you take one out, everything would fall apart. Um, so that's why I don't break it down into this caused this, which caused this. I just say, here's four or five reasons that South Bend stands out from the cities that did much worse than it. Hmm. Um, the first reason is overall county growth. So we've talked about a lot um, on the podcast how South Bend declined, but St. Joe County, even including that decline in South Bend, has still grown. So even as South Bend lost 30,000 people, there are 30,000 more people in St. Joe County. So really, that means 60,000 people you know, outside of the South Bend city limits are here than used to be. Um, and that's not true for most of these other places. Um, so South, so St. Joe County is 14% bigger than it was in 1960, which is actually the, the third highest growth of the 10 areas. Um, so I looked at the 10 cities and their, you know, and their County and South Bend's 14% growth is third behind, um, Kent, Michigan, which is where Grand Rapids is and Allen County, Indiana, which is where Fort Wayne is. And, you know, they're 80 and 63% larger, but then we're at 14, um, which is, you know, a good deal better than it drops down again to eight and 9% for a lot of these other counties. Um, so that right there was a first indication to me that it's not so much that St. Joe County's growth stabilized South Bend. It probably is more South Bend's stabilization helped St. Joe County grow. But you can see just in that quick snapshot that our county never really lost people and our region has kept growing and growing and growing slowly, like 14% over 50 years isn't gangbusters growth by any means, um, but it is still a growing area. And that overall growth clearly helps South Bend on the margins. Um, you know, we've talked about before that South Bend has grown suburban style neighborhoods on its edges that it's been able to annex. Um, that growth probably doesn't exist if St. Joe County is losing people. Um, the three, three counties actually have lost people since 1960. Um, and Jake, you know, with the Youngstown connection, uh, Mahoning County, um, yeah. Iowa, they've lost 25% of their people since 1960. Mm. Um, and that's the whole County, right? So that's not even, you're not even getting like people going out into the suburbs type thing. It, it's the whole County has lost a quarter of its population. Um, right. Gary, so Lake County, where Gary is, has lost 7%. Um, Flint has lost 8% since 1960, but it's actually lost 2% since 1970. Um, so a lot of these places that suffered the, the worst of decline, their whole counties are suffering in a way that St. Joe County really hasn't experienced. Hmm. That's interesting. 
I believe on one podcast you said that St. Joe County is in boom time right now. Yeah, well, in the sense that today there are more people living in St. Joe County than ever before. Um, yeah, and, and I, I just was flabbergasted the first time you said that, so I wanted to make sure we re-up that yeah. statement. Yeah, I mean, and and what's really interesting about the county data, which is why a lot of demographic, you know, demographic oriented people, dem- demographers use county data a lot because the county boundaries rarely, rarely, rarely change. Like they never change. Um, unless you do away with counties type thing, which only a few states have done. Um, so you can look at true, like this, this area compared to the past where like we've talked about South Bend, the, the boundaries have changed. So you have to do a lot more research to look at like, like for like changes. Um, but yeah, in the, there, there are states that have gotten rid of counties. There are a couple states that have really diminished the authority of counties. I guess I shouldn't say the boundaries are still there. Um, but there are some states on the East Coast um, that have significantly taken away authority from counties. Um, Connecticut, hmm. Connecticut, I know, is one of them, where now it's like everywhere is an incorporated town. Like there is no unincorporated area. Like it's all just hmm. there's towns, like the whole state is just like 142 towns or something. Right. Um, and I could be getting there wrong, but I know I've read an article about that. Um Funny enough, Virginia, um, little side story, but Virginia, if you're an incorporated city, you are not part of the county at all. Like you're your own little county um, surrounded by, you know, bigger. So in sometime, in some ways, I think Virginia, their cities have better relationships with their state because they're not like funneled through a county. Um, right. Anyway. Right. <laughs> um, so that was one of the reasons I think South Bend didn't suffer this, you know, really stark demographic collapse is because the region as a whole that didn't happen to it um other cities that were in our bracket so that have had moderate decline like um evansville indiana has a similar thing where it's had it's had moderate growth of nine percent at the county level um Mm. but these aren't always a hundred percent uh peoria which has had a less um decline in its city population than us has had actual decline in its county population um, where we haven't. So there, it's not always exact, um, but I think you can still squint and see the trends where if, if your county is growing, that's at least one good sign for your city. Where if your county's losing people, it's most likely you're not in good shape at all. Right, um, right. The second reason, and it's one that we've explored a lot on this podcast, is that jobs stayed in South Bend. Um, we had a whole article about that, how, you know, you can't always just look at job growth and relate it to population growth because job wise South Bend is still the job center of our County. Um, and while I stand by that whole article, um, there is some, you know, there's obvious evidence that if you lose all your jobs, that's not good. Um, my point was South Bend didn't lose population because it lost jobs. It lost people for a lot of other reasons. Um, if you look at places like Gary where they've had, you know, terrible, terrible population collapse, their jobs in relation to their population for the County is the same. So they don't have the same relationship like we do where South Bend is the job hub, but not really the population hub anymore. And Gary, Mm -hmm. they're neither a hub for either. Um, Same with Flint, uh, you know, same with a lot of these places that were hit hardest, same with Youngstown. It's 30%, 30%. Um, and I think that's significant where if, 
a lot of the cities that look like us, so Erie, which had, you know, moderate decline, they're still a job hub, but they're less of a, a population hub, just like us. Um, and I think that's significant because if the jobs stay, you at least have a base to build on. If if the people go, which I, I, I'm almost positive, the people always go first, not the jobs. And, and, and Gary, I'm sure it was people leaving for the south of their county. So, you know, the, the suburbs of like Munster. But then if the people leave and then the jobs leave after that, and you have a significant decline in jobs as well, especially, you know, good, well-paying manufacturing jobs, there's no base at all left for, for taxes. Like it's all gone then, the people and the jobs. And you you hit kind of one of what Dustin always likes to talk about, like these, these circles of decline where one thing negative impacts one thing, which then reverse negative impacts again. And you just get into terminal decline. And that that's clearly what happened in Gary and Youngstown where a multitude of things happened that just kept hitting the city where now it doesn't even have jobs anymore. Like there's not, there's really a lot less left in these cities than in South Bend. You know, we, we talked mm. about in that jobs article where like South Bend is still the white collar head of the county, right? We still have mm. most of the law firms are still based in our downtown. Like that is just not the case for these cities that had it worse. Right. Yeah. And like you were talking about, about the, like the circles of decline that, you know, in South Bend, it's obvious that whole article was right. The jobs stayed, but employees left. Um, though it wasn't a good thing at all and it has had a lots of negative consequences for the city that people have moved out into the suburbs um if that job still stays uh there's kind of a cutting off that cycle um that doesn't let it spiral out of control right yeah i mean it- Exactly. So if, if the job stays, there's still people coming into your city every day to go to work. So right. they're still driving to the city. They're still going to the, you know, the gas station. There's still, that company is still paying property taxes on its building. There's still a base there. And then ideally, hopefully if the person is spending enough time in the city, there's a better chance they'll move back as opposed to if someone moves out of Gary and then their job that they were commuting to in Gary moves out of Gary and moves to the suburbs. Then they, they have no connection to the central city anymore. Why would they ever move back? You know, right. Youngstown's probably a better case because Gary, you know, Gary's kind of very much part of the Chicago land story. Um, but like Flint and Youngstown and Canton, they were the central cities of their counties and they're just not anymore. Like they're still the county seats, but the suburbs have just become their own little towns on their own. Um, And it's not because like in the case of Indy with Carmel, where like there was just a lot, a lot of growth and Carmel is kind of like a parasite on that growth. You just have places like in Canton where the suburbs have just completely disconnected from the central city where they don't even, people just don't go into the city at all anymore. Right. Right. Totally. I mean, yeah, that totally tracks with like my limited memories of like, growing up around Youngstown. I mean, I I didn't like our house wasn't there, but uh, a lot of my relatives and like my grandpa prior to me being born, my grandpa did a lot of work in Youngstown. He uh, was typewriter, had a typewriter repair company and worked Mm. for us steel and other steel mills. And, um, but like by that time he had a, 
he had a print shop uh, in Boardman, uh, which is uh, like, yeah, like one of these nearby towns. We didn't, there was no reason to go to Youngstown. You know, you kind of drove, drove past it and it was like this kind of hulking old city. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. And, and like I said, all these reasons will self-fulfill upon each other. Like there's a very good case that because South Bend was able to keep growing jobs and stay like a pretty functional job hub that helped the overall County grow Um, where, you know, in Mahoning County, like Youngstown collapsing was bad for the County. And that's why South Bend is so important to St. Joe County. That's something I don't think, one of the big takeaways I would hope from the series people would get is how important South Bend is to St. Joe County, because if South Bend falls apart, like there is like, we are the base, like the platform, which St. Joe County is built on. And if you take that platform away, all the, you know, superstructure on top will, will be damaged. Um, And we've seen it in these other counties. And just like we've seen it in these other counties, like Grand Rapids, has had huge growth. And so Kent County has had huge growth. Like Grand Rapids has had great job growth. I, I remember reading an article that kind of sussed out why Grand Rapids, which has become like this kind of premier city of Western Michigan. Like, why did that happen? Why didn't it experience Rust Belt decline like everywhere else to the degree? And it got into like, because it was founded by the Dutch who had like a more community orientation type stuff than, than other Rust Belt cities. But it, it went on and on about how it has all these, like Grand Rapids is still a manufacturing center in the way that like, yeah, South Bend's held on to some of its manufacturing jobs. Like we've talked about, but Grand Rapids still has a ton of small and medium sized manufacturers um, mm. in the city limits, which has obviously helped fuel Kent County's growth. Um, so jobs are extremely important, which I think, you know, I, I think I probably would write that jobs article slightly differently now in retrospect um, with the same premise, but just trying to really reiterate the point that I wasn't saying jobs aren't important. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but clearly South Bend staying a job hub helped on the edges South Bend from collapsing completely. Yeah. Do you have a sense of the way that a city's proximity to other cities or other job centers impacted this. I don't know if you saw any like correlations there, like Gary's proximity to Chicago, obviously, but Youngstown is also Mm -hmm. um, not far from Pittsburgh and not far from um, other places that would have had um, maybe, maybe jobs still when um, factories were closing. Yeah. Yeah. Far from Detroit. Yeah, yeah, Flint's right. not that. Yeah, it, that's a great point. And I, that's why it kind of makes it hard. Like, the comparisons are all, like, through a distant mirror type things um, that we're trying to suss out. Right. Uh, I do know, so, like, even Canton, Ohio, like, has a border city very similar to, like, us in Mishawaka. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they, they touch only on, like, one mile of their border as opposed to, like, basically the whole border. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. That is definitely the case where, unfortunately, the way economic development has worked in the last 50, 60 years in this country is it's kind of survival of the fittest and a race to the bottom. So cities will constantly compete amongst their very immediate geographical peers for a company to stay. So they'll give away the barn through tax abatements and all these other bonuses to keep a employer who then just 10 years later goes to the neighboring city and says, hey, we'll move here if you give us X, Y, Z. Um, mm. I'm positive that happened to all these cities. Um, there are very, very, very 
famous cases in South Bend of, of us in Mishawaka fighting over an employer where if you take a step back, it's like, this is really stupid guys. Like, like you're just, <laughs> you're each screwing each other to keep this one employer who's not going to leave the area no matter what. Um, right. So there's definitely part of that. I, some of these areas had more cities next to them than others. I, I come to, I seem to think Peoria first, it sticks out in my mind as somewhere that doesn't have like a nearby incorporated place for like 50 miles. So that clearly was like a benefit to Peoria that it was like the only player in town. Um, totally. But I hear they also have a really good um, music venue still. So, I mean, I mean, you know, Peoria, we need to take these things into account. I, I'm kind of joking. But, <laughs> I mean, Peoria has, I think Cummins or no, not Cummins. They have a Caterpillar gigantic okay. manufacturer okay. that famously just, I think like two years ago moved their headquarters to Chicago. Um, so that's really going to be a struggle on Peoria going forward. Cause it was like, they employed, mm. like they're, they're still technically like headquartered in Peoria, but they've moved all their corporate offices, um, which many people who know the Studebaker story and, and just no manufacturers are like, yeah, they say for now, you know, Hey, we were just moving corporate. Like we're keeping all the mid-level and factory jobs uh-huh. here. Like soon enough, like you get 10, 15 years down the line. It's like, eh, we don't actually, why, why do we have 10,000 people in Peoria still? You know, like I, right. I feel for that town going forward. Cause I think it's going to have issues. Um, Press Ganey kept him here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are wins <laughs> <laughs> putting my city hat on like us keeping Prescani and Barnes and Thornburg, who is, you know, a national law form. That's half of its headquarters is here and half in India. Like keeping it here is a win. Um, okay. But anyway, um, so that was reason number two is that unlike some of the other cities that really had issues with jobs, South Bend held its own at least enough to survive. And then reason three is almost like a sub reason. Well, like what are these jobs we're talking about? Because all 10 of these cities have lost manufacturing jobs. Like that's why they're called the rust belt, right? Our factories rusted. Um, even grand Rapids, which I just said has a lot of manufacturing jobs. I'm sure it's still less than they did in 1960. It's just significantly more than like they should have as a rust belt city. Um, and Ed, so this comes to the, the emergence of higher education and medical sectors, which across the country, healthcare and college has become a huge business. And I'm not here to say that's a good or bad thing. I I probably lean on the side that that's not good for the country, but there are jobs in that, right? Like there are people making really good livings. There are people doing a lot of really good work. I, someone who has through many emergencies had to use the healthcare industry. Um, and it's, it's very nice that I have a really good hospital one mile from my house. I went to physical therapy this morning. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) beacon plaza yeah so i you know there's a lot of reasons why it's it's good to be a a, you know medical jobs hub for your people like you just live here it's just an asset um and eds and meds has always been kind of talked about in the rust belt midwest area like this is what's going to save us from deindustrialization like this is just what we're going to transition to like everyone's just going to work in medical and education now which is like a couple cities can do that, but the whole region cannot do that because like you, you just, that's not a a society just built off educating people and healing them. Like you need a base (laughs) to build off, but like a few cities in the region can become that and they can import, you know, people because of that. Um, and Jason Segedy, who's a city planner out of Akron, who did a legacy cities fellowship, um, 
through the economic innovation group, he, he wrote a great two article series about legacy cities, which is his term for Rust Belt. Um, and, and cities that, you know, we're here for a reason and that reason's gone. So what do they do? And, and he says, and I'm just going to quote him in full because he says it better than I can, but he wrote the Eds and Meds economy has sustained legacy cities across the country to varying degrees since the collapse of manufacturing that began in the 1970s. The healthcare and education economy has affected each of these cities differently, ranging from Pittsburgh, where it has been transformative, to Baltimore and Cleveland, where the results are a bit more mixed, to cities like Youngstown and Flint, where it, where it has perhaps helped at the margins, but has failed to come anywhere close to replacing the robust industrial economy that came before it. And it was funny to me because I picked these 10 cities before I pulled that quote. And I'm like, oh, man, he's talking about Youngstown and Flint who like fall in my bottom bucket um, mm. as places where the Eds and Meds economy hasn't done anything for it. Again, because probably because those cities are pretty close to major cities that are going to get that benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the negatives of Eds and Meds is it's just going to gravitate towards the population center of a region. Yeah. Um, like if you're in Flint, and you're a really good doctor, you're going to go work in Detroit or at least, you know, Wayne County, Oakland County, um, because that's where the most people are. Like that's where the most money is. That's where the most interesting medical procedures are being practiced. Like that's just inevitable. Um, same as if you're a professor, you know, your professors usually, you know, cosmetopolitan people who want to live in big cities or at least live in prosperous places. So it's, it's harder for cities that are close to major metros. Um, Luckily for us, we're just outside the Chicago, like real influence that I think we get away with that. And one thing I look at is, you know, Notre Dame hasn't played a role really in the story of more people. Um, Part of that was on purpose. Like I specifically kind of stayed away from Notre Dame and my own personal reasons, but also just, I don't think it really has played a role because we're talking about population and the university of Notre Dame campus isn't in the city limits. Um, and for the longest time, Notre Dame and South Bend were really two different places entirely. Um, that's changing and it's changing quickly, but Notre Dame was a pretty small private university for a long time that only had a couple hundred employees, even though it had a very famous football team in the 1920s, it didn't have a very outsized impact on the city or even the County. Um, I talk about how that's changed. Um, especially in the last 20, 30 years where Notre Dame and South Bend both, I think correctly have identified that they can't really survive without the other Notre Dame has to address the fact that most of its professors now, and most of its students now want to not just stay on campus 24 seven, you know, they want to be able to be in a real place with shops and young college students like urban type settings and, Urban can mean small college town in this case of like Bloomington, but they want to be able to walk to a bar and get drunk and walk home. (laughs) Like that's kind of, you know, they want that feel. Professors want more cosmopolitan type environments. They don't, um, I remember sitting through one council meeting and a person kind of high up in Notre Dame came who recruits professors and it was a, it was about an apartment project in the city and, and why the city should approve the rezoning for the apartment. And the Notre Dame uh, administrator came and said, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I'd recruit people and they just want to, I just take them out to Granger like that. He's like, that's all we would do. And we'd be like, Hey, look, it's a 20 minute drive into campus. And they'd be happy with that. But as he said, more and more and more, all the professors want an urban style living where they want 
if they still want a single family home, they want a dense single family home where they can walk to a park, walk to a shop, walk to a restaurant, or if they just want an apartment, they just want an apartment. Um, and so then the campus has realized they need South Bend. Um, and this, and South Bend has realized, Hey, this is a multi-billion dollar institution next to you. Like use it for some good. Um, and so that's changed the story, but even then taking Notre Dame out of it, South Bend has a lot of higher education institutions nearby and in the city limits. Um, IUSB, Indiana University, South Bend, um, they're the largest IU um, satellite school in like all of Northern Indiana. You have to go all the way to Fort Wayne or Lafayette to get one of comparable size. Um, Ivy Tech Community College, Holy Cross College, St. Mary's College, and then Bethel University. You know, they're all colleges that have grown that are much larger, each one of them, than they were in 1960 and employ a lot more people than they do in 1960. Um, So in some ways, South Bend has capitalized on the higher education growth of just the country. Um, Notre Dame is our famous example, and that relationship is fraught, and there's a whole story there that's outside of this. But then even just looking at IUSB and stuff, I, I have images. So where IUSB sits today, that used to be the South Bend Watch Company. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a you couldn't get a more clear case of, hey, we used to build, build watches on this site. That didn't work out. The factory burned down, so we tore it down. Now we have a pretty nice campus where we educate seven to 8,000 students from around the region. Um, IUSB is extra beneficial because it brings people in from the immediate counties adjacent to us. You know, a lot of people who go to IUSB are from Elkhart, from Marshall County, because you can get an IU degree, you know, but still live at home type thing. But they come here, they spend their money here. They're in, they use a lot of people who graduate from IUSB then stay in South Bend. Um, so a lot of, there's been a lot of higher education growth in South Bend where you know, we're not a college town. I'll say that a thousand times to people, um, but we have a lot of colleges here and that definitely has led to benefits and it's definitely helped stabilize the population. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you were saying like a lot of IUSB people say in South Bend, a lot of, uh, a lot of Bethel, uh, I guess, I guess it's Bethel university now. It still just rolls off the tongue. Bethel yeah. College. I went to a rival school of Bethel, so I almost, I almost didn't write them in, but one of my editors like, <laughs> wait, why didn't you say Bethel? They like border our site. I'm like, oh, guess I'll put Bethel in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't love Bethel, but, uh, I know a lot of people who went to Bethel and, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of, a lot of them hang around South yeah, Bend. And who weren't from South Bend, St. Joe County originally. Right. Um, and like, that's probably bad for their counties. Like I know Marshall County, you know, like places like that, that like Marshall County is losing people today. Um, A lot of our bordering rural counties are actively emptying out and they're emptying out to here um, and to Indy and to Fort Wayne, um, which is a whole nother story. But part of that reason is they come here for education and then they stay here for the jobs, Um, which is again, it's it's a tough world out there. And like, that's good for South Bend in the end. Um, The second part of Eds and Meds is, of course, Meds. I love that you just told all the neighboring counties it's a tough (laughs) world out there. I mean, it's, it's, I feel bad for any place doing poorly, but at the same time, like South Bend's got to survive. Like, I love this place. I want it to survive. And totally. Yeah. Hey, I get it. I just, (laughs) that was a funny way to put it. 
I mean, we've had a whole series about how South Bend has suffered. I'm not going to, you know, say we're not due some some type of growth. Um, the, the second part of Eds and Meds is obviously me- the medical institutions, which um, South Bend here again is just the prime location in St. Joe County and in just the Michiana larger area. Um, we've talked about before how Memorial hospital is the trauma hospital. So if you're getting seriously hurt within 50 miles of South Bend, you're, you're going to Memorial. If you need a specialist, you know, a specialist, you're probably going to beacon most likely. Um, famously, infamously, we lost St. We lost South Bend or I'm sorry, St. Joe hospital to Mishawaka. Um, there's a whole story there, <laughs> but even without St. Joe hospital, um, Beacon Medical Group, South Bend Medical Foundation, and South Bend Clinic are all massive employers and massive um, medical, you know, conglomerates that are headquartered and centered in basically downtown South Bend or downtown adjacent. Um, mm. I remember in the jobs article, fifty-two or fifty-three percent of all medical jobs, healthcare jobs, are in South Bend that are in the county. Um, which is even higher than our average job ratio. So clearly South Bend has remained like the, the medical center and that's actually our highest category today. Um, and I, I have a picture of just beacon is massive. Like M- Memorial hospital is just, it's taken up that whole portion of downtown and then unfortunately has parking lots all around it. But um, you know, it's just a massive complex with a lot of people who make pretty good livings working there. Obviously, COVID has just thrown this all horribly to a loop. And, you know, a lot of nurses and a lot of good people are working there every day to keep us safe. Um, But it's good for South Bend that those hospitals are there or that hospital is there. um, And that South Bend Clinic is where it is. Right. Yeah, I was reminded of that going like to physical therapy this morning. And that's not even like attached to the hospital complex there. That's downtown in like the. I don't know, above Bruno's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, be- <laughs> for lack of a better description. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, my, my, that's where my gym membership is, is Beacon. Like, there's a lot of benefits to... Yeah, you know, and like walking in, is like, oh my gosh, like there's so many of you. Yeah, uh, yeah. the Leighton like, Plaza has a lot of people who work there. Like, this is just, yeah. until you look for, or like until you get hurt, you don't know. Um, but yeah, and like, you know, right. the maternity ward is there like... Ha- and it's a very, I have both my children were born in South Bend because of Beacon. Like if Beacon left, I couldn't, you couldn't have children in South Bend, like in a hospital. Um, We'd have to just all have them at home. Yeah. So they could be born in South Bend. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to like start a podcast about that uh, just to like promote it. Uh, well, luckily, we, we, we could never have to do more that. <laughs> we wouldn't, we'd have to recruit other hosts, but. Yeah. If it comes to that, we're going to have to promote that. We can't have all of the South Bend residents' kids being born in unincorporated land. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think Memorial's going anywhere, so I don't think that's yeah. a worry. Um, mm-hmm. At least, knock on wood. Um, and that's shown out in the numbers of us compared to again those that bucket that did way worse. So Gary, Youngstown, Flint. I look at the people in the who live in those cities where they're employed. Um, and as of 2017, there were over 13,000 people who live in South Bend employed in either education services or healthcare and social services. Um, the education piece that includes primary and like high school. So that's not all colleges, but, but a lot of that's like Notre Dame and IUSB 
and Ivy Tech type stuff. Um, and then obviously healthcare is 7,000 people. Um, and remember, Gary, Youngstown, and Flint all had a way higher peak population than us. Like they were way bigger, like 50,000, 60,000 more people than South Bend had. Um, but today they have very few people in relation to us that are employed in these sectors. Um, mm. And that's just a consequence of the fact that South Bend, for whatever reason, like Notre Dame is a big one, but that doesn't explain the medical side. Like South Bend was able to grow these industries in the city limits, which helped keep the population steady um, right. compared to places like Gary Young Center Flint, where I'm guessing I know I think it was Flint or Youngstown. It was one of the two cities. I was just Googling like Youngstown hospital, Flint, like a lot of them, their main hospitals are not in the city anymore. Um, yeah. Gary has a hospital in the city. Um, but like if you drive through Gary, one of the most intact neighborhoods is like the neighborhood surrounding the hospital. Yeah. I mean, that's, these are usually, big institutions that just like Notre Dame has realized like, Hey, you know, we need to be a good neighbor in the sense that like, we want a nice neighborhood on our door, at least an intact neighborhood on our door. Mm-hmm. You know, they do that. Like IUSB I'm certain has helped stabilize river park. Like I'm, I'm, I don't right. have any data behind that, but I know the fact that if IUSB instead of IUSB being there was just a, a burnt out factory or empty land that would hurt river park. Like, yeah, they had to gobble up a little river park and they've, you know, I think like one or two blocks they had to tear down, which I'm never usually in favor of, but they seem to have been contained for a long time now. Like that helps river park. I know a lot of professors who work at IUSB or employees who live in my neighborhood because it's half a mile away. Like they, right. uh, they all like to like, I, I have a neighbor like four doors down who is um, a professor at IUSB who loves to walk to work. So that's why she lives in Sunnymead because she can walk to work in four minutes, um, four or five minutes. So it's like, it's good for my neighborhood that IUSB is there. Right. Um, right. And it, and like we've talked about before, where like there's a cost to these things too. Like the roads that ring it and everything are paid for by city residents, but like, it's obviously good that these things are in South Bend. Like I've never tried to say otherwise. Um, and, and that has a stabilizing force. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. So moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> and again, all these things are, are interconnected. So the reason for is South Bend remained a destination for new immigrants. And I, I mean new immigrants in the sense of like new demographics coming into the United States. So mm. all these 10 cities were founded by immigrants. Like that's just a fact that all these cities at when they were growing in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were growing rapidly, not because, you know, a couple of people came here and had a lot of kids and those people had kids and those people had kids. It was because brand new people who were coming to the United States we're coming here. Um, We had a huge foreign born population in South Bend and most of these places. South Bend has done very, very well keeping that tradition alive. Um, And it's just a fact that in the United States, since the turn of the 20th, since the middle of the 20th century, um, the main source of immigration has been central and South America. Um, And Mm -hmm. a little bit of, you know, um, Asia, 
but but the majority have been of Hispanic origin. Um, and so I track that by saying, well, what has the Hispanic share of the population in South Bend been? And the share of people who, who claim Hispanic heritage. So this would be people who are, who claim to be, or who are, who identify as white, but then also identify as Hispanic. But there was only like a couple hundred of those people that here in 1970, it's grown by 627%. So as the white population, so the white non-Hispanic, which is generic white person, like census language, us, um, us <laughs> me, you know, as hung- Hungarian, like that's what the census designates me, a non-Hispanic uh, Caucasian. That number has declined 50%, but the Hispanic population has grown 627%. Um, just massive growth that didn't really happen in a lot of other Rust Belt cities. And one of the reasons it happened here in South Bend was because South Bend stayed the place for new immigrants to come into, into the County Um, South Bend today. Again, remember South Bend's only 38% of the total County's population, but South Bend is 67% of the Hispanic population in the County. So two out of every three people of, you know, of Hispanic origin, in St. Joe County live in South Bend still. Um, And that number is going up. Like it was like 62% in 2000. So South Bend clearly did a good job attracting new people, which has helped tremendously. Like this is the most clear one to me where we've really done a good job. And it's probably because of those jobs and because of those other things that we've talked about was able to keep attracting brand new people to the country, or at least maybe, um, you know, they were born in Texas and they're, they're first generation Americans, but their family kept moving North and they mm-hmm. ended up coming here type thing. Um, if South Bend say, for example, had the same share of Hispanic population as Gary did. So South Bend has 14, 14% of South Bend is, is Hispanic compared to Gary, which is just 5%. If South Bend was just 5%, we'd have 10,000 less people. Um, wow. So there's this this massive growth in the Hispanic population, which again, if that wasn't there, instead of South Bend being at 102, 101,000 people, we'd be at like 88, 89,000 and probably way worse because there's cascading effects where if you didn't have those Hispanic populations, like there'd be even more decline otherwise. Um, yeah, which would drop us into that like or close to your like bottom. Yeah bucket like, of cities exactly like if you took that 14 percent and made it five or six exactly we would be basically on the edge of being in the worst bucket um so right there that is a direct positive benefit that and what really what i thought was surprising and i kind of championed it on twitter and i think the city should celebrate this more of the 10 cities i looked at we were the second highest in Hispanic share of population. The only other Mm. one that was higher was Grand Rapids, which was 16%. So almost very close to our 14. And then the third highest, let's see, it drops down really high. The third highest is Fort Wayne with 8%. So, Mm. you know, we've done a really good job. Now, granted, Fort Wayne's a lot bigger. So their 8% is probably about our 14% when it comes to like sheer numbers. But the city of South Bend has done a very good job attracting new people to the area. I mean, Canton is, has 2.6%. Flint has 4%. Evansville has 2.6%. Um, I, Peoria has five. So 
that's just a big difference. And again, these are all pure cities. So like clearly this, we South Bend did something right in this case that helped mitigate our decline. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of, this is more anecdotal, but I, I talk about how I think part of this and one of my friends suggested this and I was like, Oh, that, that's actually not a bad way to frame it is part of it is the Catholic church structure. I'm pretty sure had something to do with this. And I only know that because I, I directly saw it happen. Um, obviously Notre Dame is here. So we have a large Catholic population because a lot of people working in Notre Dame are Catholic and they're a big Catholic influence on the region. But besides that, we have like 13 local parishes in South Bend city limits. And that's just because most of the immigrants that came, you know, in the 1800s and in the early 1900s were Catholic just by happenstance, Hungarians, Irish, Polish. Um, they're all Catholics or they were all Catholics when they came. So they established Catholic parishes um, and those Catholic parishes live on um, mine being our lady of Hungary. Um, and as the older generation died out or more often moved away um, like my fam- my larger family did um, and the, the parish almost closed this, the parish made an active choice to really embrace um you know, Hispanic culture and to really try to recruit Spanish people to come here or to come to that parish. Um, I remember when we got a new priest and it, they specifically asked the diocese for a Spanish speaking priest, even though we had barely any, you know, people of Spanish, Hispanic descent in our population at the time, they said, we want a Spanish speaking priest so that he can have a Spanish only mass or, a, you know, all Spanish mass spoken mass to just attract people. And what happened was, is it, it built this whole new relationship where it was people I talked to at mass or after church who they were like, Hey, I'm from, I'm from Michigan or I'm from, you know, I'm a first generation Mexican and I, I came here cause my cousin goes to this church and he said, it's a really good place. So I saw my own little parish attracting people to this area. Um, and it saved our lady of Hungary. Like Our Lady of Hungary is probably about 50% Hispanic now. Um, they have one English mass, one Spanish mass. Um, it saved the school. Vouchers come into that a little bit. But like if you didn't have the massive increase in Hispanic um, populations, like the school would have closed, which would have been really bad for the Rum Village neighborhood because it kind of serves as like a community center. Um, I talk about when my dad was at Our Lady, there was over 500 kids in the grade school. Um when I was there, there was like a hundred and now I think they're up to like 160 to 180. So they've, they've kind mm-hmm. of rebounded in the 10, 15 years I've been gone. Um, and it's entirely because they were able to attract Hispanic populations. And like, that's kind of a microcosm of the city as a whole. Yeah. That is fascinating. I think, I think immigration probably is one of the examples of the positive feedback loops though, of population. Um, because it, it is also, I'm assuming, one of those dynamics here where once you establish both a reputation and a, and a home for certain immigrant populations, it becomes a magnet for like future either generations or just future waves of immigration, right? So if there's, if there's a large Central American population in South Bend, it's going to beget more South American immigration just because of like family ties and and connections and things like that. So I think it's probably one of those, like unlike the, the negative feedback loops that start really 
compounding themselves, this could be a very positive one. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's just exactly. It becomes a positive feedback loop where growth equals more growth. Um, yeah, well, and new immigrants are are such um, like often such productive forces in a city mm-hmm. uh, in so many ways. Not not just economic, like starting businesses, but also like Joe was saying, uh, being part of churches and um, like living in dense neighborhoods. Uh, just very productive forces. Like even anecdotally, you think about uh, all of the business, like like kind of hyper small business growth along Western Avenue and kind of the streets right off of it. Um, There isn't another part of town that you see that sort of uh, very like grassroots uh, kind of growth. And um, it's mostly all coming out of uh, this like new immigrant community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's saved some of these neighborhoods from experiencing the worst type of decline. And obviously mm. it hasn't saved them all. Like we haven't had such growth where it's, it's made up for it, but it's definitely helped soften the blow um, tremendously. Yeah. Um, so, and that gets into the kind of the, the last reason, which more people I've very tried to make it pretty analytical, right? Like Dustin loves all the graphs and, you know, Jacob hates all the graphs <laughs> that, <laughs> that we put in. Um, and I wanted to do that because I never wanted to say anything explicitly in the piece that I couldn't back up with data or at least like my interpret. You can say maybe my interpretation of the data was wrong and that's definitely possible, but I always wanted to at least be able to point to something and say like, I'm not just talking here. Like here's something physical, something, you know, with that's been measured that I can back up what I'm saying. I kind of break that with this very last reason um, simply because cities are not just numbers on a graph. They're not just statistics. And the last reason I give is city investment. And I, I, I say this carefully and this is one, the one I, I don't compare us to the other nine because I'm sure these other nine cities have, have done a lot of this too. Um, but our city, and I mean this in the broadest sense of, so our political leaders are just cultural and community leaders and just the people here didn't give up. Like they, they could have, um, but they kept trying. So in the worst days of Studebaker closing and, you know, Drury's then closing and, and Oliver shrinking and Bendix going and all the way through the, the housing crash in the 2000s, South Bend never stopped trying to do new things. Um, and I, I mentioned a couple of the things here and I can't tie any of this to population growth, but it's at least given a feel that the city isn't just accepting its decline. Um, we're not just sitting around managing. We're not, you know, a hospice unit as a city. Um, the city installed the first ever in North America, man-made white water rafting course on the East bank um, in the eighties, which a lot of these are taking our old industrial, you know, embodiments and, positioning them to be new. Um, so, you know, we built the first ever uh, white water rafting course in North America. We were the second city in the United States to try to build a downtown baseball stadium. I'm kind of, I don't really like baseball, but I love baseball stadiums. It's kind of weird. Um, and I've read a lot about baseball stadiums and there was this whole big thing that 
at the very end of the 80s and early 90s, it's called the urban renaissance, where baseball stadiums, which for 30 years had been moving out to the suburbs, moving out to the suburbs, moving far away, you know, a big dome surrounded by tons of parking, like a bunch of architects started realizing, hey, it's really good. Baseball is at its best when it's in the heart of a city. That's when it feels most like baseball. Um, and we were the second city in the country to try to do that, where we built a downtown baseball stadium, um, which mm. uh, and since then, all baseball stadiums are built now in downtowns. Um, and we were the second in the country. So this trend that started, you know, for has 50, 60 baseball stadiums have been. And we we did that first or second here. And it was like right at the same time, like we were like six months behind the first city. Mm-hmm. Um, the relationship between our farmland and our city has has grown into one of the largest and one of the oldest indoor farmers markets in the Midwest. Like we have one, I think we have the best farmers market in Indiana and probably like in the in the Midwest. Like it's you go to other cities, they don't have anything like our farmers market where you have 50, 60 vendors all selling local foods. Um, Those Bloomington people love the farmer's market. They will fight you <laughs> over this. Yeah. yeah well, Bloomington's not really a city. But, uh, <laughs> um, we have the oldest zoo in, in, South, or in Indiana, in Pottawatomie Zoo. And the city has made constant improvements to it to make sure it doesn't flounder. Which has, again, I think the zoo has helped River Park and Sunny Mead stabilize. And it's a, it's a wonderful asset that we have. Um, just recently, the city, with nearly two thirds of the funding coming from private local sources, renovated every single park in the city and all uh, trails. And obviously, some parks got bigger investments than others, but every single one had a significant investment to it. And I, I with confidence, and not just me blowharding, like the people of South Bend have access to some of the best outdoor public spaces in at least the region. Like you go to some other cities and they don't have anything like Howard park or Leaper park. And that's just new. They don't have anything like Pottawatomie park, which is a amazing park that I go to every weekend with my kids. Like we have, we have a 30. Oh yeah. Now this counts Mishawaka and North too, but we have a 33 mile river trail where you can stay on a river for 33 miles paved river trail. Like we have some of the best, public spaces um and i'm again go to some of these other rust belt cities and it's just sad but they don't have those resources and like none of this happened by accident this all took people actively making a choice to make these public places good um and we've also not given up on just our city smart streets gets a lot of crap but smart streets was an active investment in South Bend, in the people of South Bend, in the place of the public realm of South Bend. We talked about the Western Avenue, um, you know, growth in businesses. Well, the city put millions of dollars through and the community, because the community demanded it, not just the city just did this. Um, millions of dollars into making Western Avenue a really nice place to be, to be in the public realm. And that's in the end, that's what a city is. It's the public space that we all enjoy. Um Again, I'm sure a lot of these other cities did this, um, but I, I really think I had to say something about like South Bend didn't just give up. Like we didn't accept that Studebaker clothes were screwed. Um, like we keep right. fighting. And and I say some of these things didn't work out famously, you know, infamously the, the college football hall of fame did not work out. Like that was a huge investment. That was kind of a stinker and it didn't really work. Um, but I'd rather us, keep trying and get a couple right and get a couple wrong than just not try anything big ever. And just accept like, Oh, we're going to keep declining. And that's that. 
Um, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, the Football Hall of Fame is a good example that, like, yeah, kind of a bummer in the end, but it definitely signaled a value at the time that was, like, we're feeling sort of ambitious about uh, what we're going to do here in downtown South Bend. Yeah, it was and, right uh, on the hills of Kowalski Stadium, um, which was a Roger Parent, and then a little bit of Kernan at the end. Um, right, kind of you know bringing a bringing a private you know minor league team here, which it, and again, this is what I mean about South Bend too. Like we almost lost our private minor league team, and Joe Kernan stepped in and saved it basically with a couple other of South Bend locals who said, no, like we need to keep the baseball team here. It's a really good thing. And now the South Bend Cubs are ranked like always on the top five of minor league teams in the country, like of all the different levels of minor league teams. Like you go to any South Bend Cubs game, there's 6,000, 7,000 people there every night in downtown South Bend. And like, that's just good. That's just good for your city to have, positive things to focus on um and when things started going wrong the city community responded and rallied and saved these institutions the more i don't talk about like the morris performing arts center is an amazing Mm. like you can go see broadway plays like i've seen three broadway plays that travel the world and if i remember when the phantom of the opera came here i'm like i wonder where else like they're playing they go to like like that program went to detroit indianapolis here and like then on the West coast, a bunch of big cities and like, they don't no offense to Fort Wayne or like, they don't go there. <laughs> like more right. the Morris is like a top 50 theater in the country. And that didn't happen by accident. Like that took, people, Oh no. Like that took a lot of work and a lot of people and a lot of continued work by both the city government and the community arm in arm, keeping that facility, a great facility. And Mrs. Morris. And of course, like, yeah, Mrs. Morris, who donated the money to, to start it. <laughs> like, And again, she didn't have to do that. And we might have torn it down. Like we used to oh, have. I, I think we mo- I think we almost yeah. certainly would have torn it down. We, we used yeah. to have Colfax Theater, which was also a beautiful theater. We tore down like it's very possible. Mm-hmm. To have. And again, obviously, the pandemic has thrown a giant wrench in this. But like usually in the winter, the Morris is one of the best places in downtown South Bend having great shows and if i remember going again to these shows um they bring in four broadway shows a year and i remember like because i'm a busybody, i like talked to all the neighbors in my seats before the show and they're all from like out of the city (laughs) like they're They're what did we sit next to the demographer (laughs) (laughs) and like you know people come in they go get dinner and then they go to a show at the morse and then they have a positive they have a positive view of south bend in their mind and that leads to many many better consequences down the line um yeah and so i can't oh yeah i can't put that so on many people come down like if if man if i drive if if i get downtown and there's nowhere to park it's just like there's a freaking show at the morris <laughs> tonight which you know i complain because i'm like oh, i gotta park two blocks away but uh it's a, that's a it's a beautiful thing yeah and it's again the city ponies up that money and the community has supported it um and it's a win like we should celebrate our wins because we don't have you know, we're not, we've had a lot of issues, so it's good to celebrate the ones that worked. Um, yeah. And it's good that it's really good that that's in South Bend because it easily could be in one of our suburbs or our neighboring city. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I couldn't put that on a chart, but I, I just wanted to talk about that, that like if a lot of these individual actors did something differently, it could have been, it'd be way worse. Like it just would be. Um, yeah. And that's it. That's more people. Wow. 
You did it. And just to be clear, we are still soliciting more people for the city of South Bend. Yes. If you ever want to live in South Bend, give me an email. I'll give you seven different neighborhoods that are great. <laughs> and I can find you a house. Oh, yeah. Only seven. I, I mean, who's going to make the, who's <laughs> going to make the list? <laughs> I mean, usually, so a couple of times people have, I guess like, Oh, I'm, you know, I got a job at Notre Dame. I'm moving here. Like, where do you want, where should I live? Like, I always ask them like, what do you want out of your life? Cause like, luckily South Bend has kind of every, in my mind, I think we have a lot of different options where like you, if you want a big house in a suburban style development, like we have that on the South side and it's way cheaper than in the actual suburbs. Um, if you want like a condo downtown or an apartment downtown, we have that now too. If you want a dense single family home adjacent, you know, we have that. We have a lot of great things. Um, I kind of end the piece a little sentimental just because who I am, but like it's a picture of me and my son and we're watching the brand new, uh, hydro power plant being built. And it kind of, it kind of takes the whole article and condenses it. Cause it's Notre Dame is building this plant and they paid South Bend the right to do it. So you have like the higher education part and then it's on the East race using the, the river, which is the reason why South Bend is here is because the river was here. Like that's why we were founded. So it kind of encapsulates all that. And we have in the background, like, you know, an old factory that's con- been converted to an apartment and then also a brand new building right next to it. Um, and yeah. like South Bend's complicated. South Bend has a lot of issues, but like, I love the city and we're going to stay. And I, I have faith South Bend's going to do better in the future. Like things are getting better for everybody. I believe in the first episode, that's what we talked about, right? It's about the kids. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. You should have started the whole series saying like, I'm not sure if I'm going to stay in South Bend. (laughs) I'm going to do this series and decide at the end. (laughs) When you said we're going to stay, I thought, was there something there like that I didn't realize that maybe you weren't? Nope. I mean, I didn't have to stay in South Bend. Like we, we almost moved, but it's home. So it's home. And I, I think it's home. And it's also, I, I could tell you, for a day i can give you reasons why i think it's if there's some things we don't have and if you want like gigantic huge city you know metropolis like yeah go to new york or chicago like in my or boston like there's probably four or five cities but if anything under that you can have that type of life here for way less cost well as a resident of south bend but not a uh, native to south bend uh, thank you, Joe, for putting this together. I learned a lot by, from uh, from going through all of it. And it's it's a cool, it's a very cool like view on the city. And I think uh, a history most cities don't even don't get to like hear about themselves. There's something that struck me reading this particular edition of the article is there is like a part of me that was really curious about all the graphs that you've made over seven parts to this series like what those graphs look like for those 10 or those nine other cities and how those stories you know are the same and different and just like small things like looking at you know grand rapids city growth of two percent you know since the 60s but county growth of 80 percent um versus like the fort wayne story of the county is basically the city now in terms of the annexation where all that growth came from, just like how much people can learn about the narratives around their own city. If, if they had someone like you writing mm-hmm. and, and digging in and 
taking a shot at it. So appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been fun. It's been, and thank you guys for the being the co-host. I could not have done the podcast without either of you. <laughs> Would have been. I I think you're a little great. mistaken on that, but <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take it. But I. <laughs> no, Jake. I mean, you. I. Yeah, especially you know the West SB site. Like more people wouldn't be. It would have been one like it would have been like a screenshot of a word article. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, okay. I'll accept Facebook. that. I'll accept that one. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I hope if this has done anything outside of the South Bend area, like I hope obviously first and foremost was written for the people of South Bend to know more and to have better grasp on how to tackle these issues. Um, but if anybody outside of the region is inspired to write their own version for their own city, like I'll be the first one reading, like I would love to read an in-depth review of Youngstown, you know, or you can. Absolutely. The more people fellowship yeah, hey, begins start, now. Start the more people anthology now. <laughs> yeah, I really want somebody publishing an article in South End that's like, I've been nominated as a more people fellow. <laughs> more, so more, I will set out on a seven-part series about young stuff. Followed by the more people ambassador program, which will be a bunch of young people recruiting people to live in their cities. <laughs> Boom. And I want to thank like all the readers we've had um, and all the listeners, especially the podcast. Like it takes a lot of dedication to listen to me yab and you guys yeah, for an hour and a half every other week. Um, and if anyone has any questions or comments, like I love hearing them and debating them and talking about it with other people. So anyone feel free to reach out. And we're going to keep going. So, I mean, on if people have questions and we can talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we have, I don't think we have anything to announce, but I think there's, a more people season two, perhaps that there's a framework for maybe how we would do it. Um, which I think we could be. Yeah. This is the announcement that we're hoping to make an announcement. Yeah. Well, this is the <laughs> announcement that if you hear the phrase more people season two and you get excited, you should reach out and let us know. So we make sure we can push towards doing it. Yeah, if you're listening and you want more and like we've thought, hey, we could interview people or, you know, there's definitely other ways to look at the city through the same kind of data lens. Um, if you want more of that, feel free to reach out. If you don't, like that's if we don't hear anything, that's probably soon. <laughs> I really we'll, we'll hope hear your yeah, silence. If you really feel like uh, this has been good, you <laughs> no somehow like you're the in the Venn diagram where you've listened to this whole ha- hour and a half. And you don't want us to do any more. I would really like to hear from you. Yeah, if you're a strong hate listener, we uh, we want to hear from you. Or I, I feel like uh, Ryan Blasky, he'll, he'll probably listen to this whole part because he doesn't read the articles. I think he listens to the podcast which instead. Which <laughs> I mean, I feel like he, he might like, I feel like he gets a really good grasp of what's going on by listening to the podcast. But, uh, I, I I could see him saying like, "You guys did good. This is time to wrap it up. Let's wrap, wrap. Yep. Let's go out on yep. go out on top. Story has been told. <laughs> <laughs>